how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. David Weiner originally moved to Los Angeles to get involved with filmmaking, where he mostly worked as an assistant director. Soon after, he started writing and found journalism, where he worked for Entertainment Tonight, The Hollywood Reporter, and even ran the famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, which is where Robin Block recruited him to become a writer-director. At Block's company, Creator VC, the company focuses on community-powered entertainment. The independent producers work on crowdfunded content for superfans. Weiner's job is to interview, write, and direct. In Search of Darkness is described as an exploration of 80s horror movies through the perspective of the actors, directors, producers, and special effects craftspeople who made the film and their impact on contemporary cinema. The latest film, In Search of Tomorrow, is described as a nostalgic journey through 80s sci-fi films exploring their impact and relevance today, told by the artists who made them and by those who were inspired to turn their visions into reality. In this interview, Weiner talks about how to cold contact subjects, how to percolate new stories with subjects, how to hang on to creative control, and what it means to be a nostalgia curator. You can also look for our interview with Robin Block in episode 295. First came out to Los Angeles back in uh, 1990 after I went to film school at Ithaca in upstate New York uh, with, with dreams and visions of being in Hollywood and working on movie sets. And that's my first goal that I achieved uh, right off the bat, running around on film sets with a headset and, uh, you know, walkie talkie telling actors to get in hair and makeup and yelling rolling and cut and you know, getting coffee and doing work in art department and production assistant. And uh, I was mostly an assistant director, all that kind of stuff like that, um, locations. But um, I, I really, after working on television and, and commercials and music videos and mostly features for about four years, I was like, I will always be a production person, but I'm not gonna be making any movies anytime soon. 
unless I start trying to direct my trajectory. Uh, so I, I started writing and I got into development and uh, writing my own screenplays and uh, doing whatever I could to sort of understand how uh, you got to work your way through the system to get movies made because no one's going to hand a movie to you to make. Okay. Lo and behold, I found an entirely different path cutting to the chase with uh, online journalism and uh, regular journalism. Uh, and uh, I worked at Entertainment Tonight. I worked for a variety of uh, uh, papers, you know, The Hollywood Reporter and LA Weekly. Uh, I ran Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, which was a real thrill for me. Um, and I kind of honed my craft where I ultimately decided I really enjoy interviewing people and I really enjoy picking people's brains and understanding the creative juices and the motivations behind whether you, you choose something for a character or a career. Um, but myself, I wasn't making any movies. And then lo and behold, all of a sudden, after doing all these interviews for other outlets, uh, the opportunity was presented to me by Robin Block, who executive produces these movies, uh, these long uh, documentaries in search of darkness, in search of the last action heroes, in search of tomorrow. Uh, and he recruited me based essentially on my Entertainment Tonight background and my Famous Monsters background um, and my ability to coordinate and produce as well as to write and, and uh, interview and assemble uh, interviews and projects and packages and things like that. And so ultimately, that's kind of what led me to the path of filmmaking yet again. So I kind of stumbled upon you guys, like the whole creator VC company. It seems like you're really, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of marketed as like for super fans and that type of thing. It's crowdfunded through Kickstarter, Indiegogo. How does all that kind of work? I mean, I know you've kind of built a reputation now, but are you worried about, do you guys have to go through the whole process of getting licenses or is it more just like, this is fair use. We mostly sell Blu-rays. How do they kind of handle some of that stuff? Yeah, it's a uh, it's it's there's a legal process involved. We have one of the one of the great um, uh, uh, copyright fair use lawyers uh, who worked on like Never Sleep Again, the the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary. Uh, so there's a certain element of context uh, and permissions that we go through that is very arduous and very detailed. And right. um, you know. Ultimately, it comes down to what is, how can we best serve the story that we're telling? Um, and, and how can we, once we've done this, make sure that we can put out something that uh, uh, is, you know, cleared and insured and so on and so forth. And they're, they're, these, these are more questions, you know, for Robin Block to answer because sure. I'm more the content person. Uh, my, my concern really is, you know, how, how do I best tell a story? How do I illustrate the stories and the anecdotes that I'm getting uh, and, and, and keep it all in context so we can do what we're doing and get what we're getting? Um, and that's the biggest challenge and always the biggest, the biggest success if I'm able to use the material that I want or at least a, a good amount of it. So I've, just, I've been interviewing more like documentary filmmakers because it's kind of a part of the process I didn't really realize. But so it sounds like for the most part, you're handing a bit of that off. Maybe it's done at the end. But in terms of are there things that you're doing along the way? I know you have to get uh, like permission from your interviewees. What are some of those steps that are kind of behind the scenes like that? Yeah, well, the creating a documentary and just to give your your audience, if they're not entirely uh 
if they're not entirely down with how this all works is we, we it's important to understand what these movies are about. And these movies are uh, love letters to uh, a decade in genre filmmaking. And they are constructed where it, for 80s horror or 80s sci-fi, for example, you know, In Search of Darkness or In Search of Tomorrow, uh, their structure where we go from 1980 to 1989 and we cover a variety of films within each year and then in between each year there's a larger context chapter uh, covering you know special effects or practical effects the heroes the villains you know the final girl uh, music score writing whatever it may be um, and and it becomes this four and a half hour behemoth and uh, my approach to doing these things is, is a very distinct, uh, very specific outline ahead of time, knowing all the stuff that I wanna tackle and knowing that I won't be able to include it all, but I, I'm ambitious and hopeful. Um, but I, I keep it very, very streamlined in that when I do sit down with all of the talent that we ultimately get, and we get, you know, for the first two In Search of Darkness movies, we got 50 and then another 15 on top of that. Uh, for In Search of Tomorrow, we've got 75 and counting. It's a lot of, a lot of people to chit chat with. Um, but we reach out to all of these folks uh, and they agree to be in our film. Um, so we have them sign a release form that they already know that they're gonna sign saying, yes, you can use my material. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I arrange an, an hour sit down or more with everyone. Mm -hmm. And I really go down uh, a, a tailored list of questions that are related to not only their material, their films that they've been in, their experiences, but also larger uh, uh, conversations about the genre and about right. filmmaking. Um, and, you know, uh, sort of, um, con you know, context of present day context, looking back at this, these movies that were done now, you know, going on 40 years ago, 35 to 40 years ago. Um, so yeah, and it's quite a feat and, and, and I can get into detail if you want me to, but, um, all this material, you get, you get hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Right. So if you think about it, you get 50 people and, and you sit down with everyone for an hour or two, or sometimes more, you have 75, hundred hours of material to sift through, to tell your story. But I find it incredibly rewarding because with a longer sit down, you get to go through, you know, down rabbit holes and tangents and conversations that you never expected to have that can add incredibly, incredible tasting fruit to your, your content and to your film that you didn't even expect to have in the first place. And that's uh, to embellish the material that you were already hoping to get. And it's sort of, uh, what you start out hoping to have and what you end up with is obviously two different things. It's never exactly the same, um, but it's always in, in, in the same vein of what I was expecting to get. And right. uh, I always get a lot more surprises. Tell me a little about that uh, first encounter. Obviously now you've got several movies under your belt. You're very experienced in interviews for years and years with that. But when you're reaching out to the, the talent or these people you're going to interview, how do you how do you kind of pitch it? What do you go about? Is it an email? Is it a phone call? What does that stuff kind of look like? It's everything from an from an email to a phone call to a walk by their house hoping they'll come out with the garbage. And you think I'm kidding, but that's a true statement. 
because uh, I live in the same neighborhood as Kurtwood Smith. Uh, and, you know, Kurtwood Smith, who was in RoboCop and, you know, he was the dad in that 70s show. He was, in, oh, right. you know, he, uh, he was in um, uh, so many amazing yeah. you know, films. And um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I knew I wanted him in my movie. And, and oftentimes you go through their representation. That's usually the way to go about it. Um, but sometimes it's easier if you could find a friend of a friend or their former roommate or, you know, walk by their house while they're taking the garbage and say, hey, neighbor, guess what? I'm making a movie. You don't have to do anything, but can I send you an email and just tell you all about it? I'd love to have you in it. And it also helps if you have your cute kid walking with you who tells him, hey, you're on the poster of my dad's movie. And then he's like, I am. Well, hey, let's let's check this stuff out. And so. You know, that was one of the one, one fortuitous moments that was uh, hoped for, but took three months in the making to make happen. Right. Um, yeah. And then kind of from there, is it just like your, is it just the love of the project? You're just trying to express how much you care about this type of thing. And I guess you're, you're, you're phrasing all that. Like we want to do about 80s horror as an example. And I'd love to specifically talk about XYZ or do you leave some of that out? I'm just curious about some of the things that might get a no from a from a first time director. Uh, might get a no? Like, yeah, well, I mean, you, like you wanna get a, a yes, I'd love to do it, but I'm, I'm wondering what kind of things can turn people off, I guess, in an email or a phone call. Um, well, here's, here's, here's the irony here. I'm, I'm I, I'm a proponent of short and sweet and to the point. Right. But if you're, but if it's if a cold call, so to speak, you got to include information to let them know who you are and who else might be involved in the project. I, I find the best way to get people interested um, is you, you know, you invite them to be part of it, but you have to. It's sort of the chicken and the egg. You got to get mm -hmm. some other people involved, and when they st start seeing some other recognizable names there's a snowball effect and it takes a little time, right. but they'll say, oh, well, this person did it. Yeah, sounds great. I'm, I'm in too. Um, and the, the part of where I say, you know, I'm a bit of, you know, uh, I like brevity as the soul of wit. I end up starting out very short and sweet and to the point. And then if they want to continue reading, I give them everything they need. Right. So you don't have to have this extended back and forth. Well, what have you done? And why do I, you know, you just, you know, hand feed them all the material, you know, these are the projects I've done in the past. Here's all the people, you know, that are involved. Here's what we're planning to do, you know, happy to chat about it more. Um, you know, you, you just got to paint yourself in the best light, but you basically, uh, I, I pitched this as not only do, to, do you talk about your own work, but you get to talk about your favorite movies, your favorite right. filmmakers, you know, the stuff that you love, an era that I think you're interested in, or I know that you're interested in. Mm. And that, you know, um, like I know that Harris, you know, Harrison Ford was not interested, but I did reach out to him. And I also knew that I said, hi, Harrison, if you want to talk about Star Wars, I love you in my movie. I knew that was an immediate no anyway. What does he love? He loves flying he loves you know carpentry you know right. and i just said uh you know like i said i mean i got i got turned down but at least i got a response but the thing is i said you know listen i want to sit down with you and talk about the things that you love i i'm interested even if you're not that interested in the genre to hear why you're not interested in the genre and i'm interested also in in 
and this is what's going to be my abs ab actual approach as well is like you know if you're standing on the star wars set waiting for the next take are you taking in the carpentry the set decoration the, you know right. the art behind this stuff because i know you could care less about what han solo says and you know george lucas could type it but you can't sure as hell can't say it you know um <laughs> Flying the Falcon, you know, just the aerodynamics of just the, the you know, the, the gadgetry and, and, and the, you know, the vehicles in the film, you know, do you have a, an interest? Do you think about that? Is there a connection to it? You know, uh, if nothing is in relation to that, you know, when you're flying a helicopter, you're flying in your own plane, you know, what, what draws you to that, you know, mm -hmm. to that escape? Because sci-fi is about escapism. So there's a way to sort of you know bypass the obvious for people right. who are tired of seeing the same thing over and over again and you will find and this is the last thing i'll say about that is you get people to sit down who talk about the same thing over and over and over and we've yeah. all heard it but if you have a little time sometimes you know if you have great follow-up questions you demonstrate a knowledge of the material and a respect for their material whether they like think it was good or not uh, all of a sudden new stories percolate and pop up uh, and, and, and they might take you in directions that they never expected to go because they're enjoying talking about certain things that they, they normally put themselves on autopilot for. Mm. So there's a, real, there's a real art to having, you know, if you have the time and you're well prepared for an interview, you just want to have a human to human conversation. You know, how right. was the food on that movie? What's your favorite meal? What do you what do you complain about when there's something at the craft service table that's not there? That might seem like a strange and funny and arbitrary question, but you never know. Be like, oh yeah, well that was the day when we were supposed to do this for the set, and they didn't have it, so we grabbed it from the craft service table, and they ordered more, and that we had that every day ever since. You know, get a fun story. So like with Harrison Ford, obviously there's there's a bit out there, even though he has been you know standoffish for forever basically but with someone who's maybe lesser known I'm, I'm sure you're you're diving into their work but there's not a lot of interviews out there do you come in a little bit differently with those or how do you kind of approach some of those interviews uh every interview is tailored to the 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 person who's sitting down to their strengths as a as an orator so to speak i mean i listen to Everyone I sit down to down with, I, I, I listen to interviews they've done in the past, whether it's a general interview and or talking about the specific movie or, or you know, content that I, I want to talk to them about. Uh, and I understand, you know, you see the, the patterns, you see what they they always get their go to story, you know, um, and sometimes you need to sort of tap that to get people to talk about other things. You know, yeah. they first have to go into their autopilot to get that out of the way. And then you can sort of ask additional questions that they're not used to sort of going into. But, mm -hmm. you know, some people like to, some people are very detail oriented. Some people get caught up in very long anecdotes. Some people, they gloss all over other things and they just talk about how they felt or they have zero memory of the plot of a film or the theme of a film. Uh, and they want to talk about that day that, uh, you know, Donald Pleasance, you know, took a cab to the, the Thai restaurant behind the hotel because he didn't know that it was, he could literally could have walked half a block, you know. Right. Um, those are fun stories in each, you know, and they all have their place. And uh, the trick at the end of the day is especially to take a very long anecdote and get the pieces of it and cherry pick so you can put it in context and concert with all the other people talking. 
So I would assume the answer to this next question is something to do with that. It's about movies or something to do with the way they sell the Blu-rays, but why movies versus a show when something's four hours, eight hours, something like that? That's a great question. That's a great question. I'm being semi semi facetious because that's that is probably one of the more common questions, uh, based on the fact that you know we're making these four and a half hour movies. Yeah. Um, fundamentally, this was never meant to be a four and a half hour movie. This was a a crowd funded Kickstarter project for a documentary about eighties horror, and uh, it was meant to be two hours long tops, uh, 90 minutes to two and a half hours, but never longer, you know? There was never a specific time limit, but it was definitely not four and a half hours. Uh, But the structure demanded it. I mean, when when Robin Block said, I wanna go year by year, movie by movie, I said, sounds great. There are hundreds of movies, you know, we got to do this. And even if, uh, even knowing that we can't do every movie, even though I'm a person personally a completist and I would like to do it if I could, um, there's just no way. So you got to figure out how to do it and, and how to structure it and how to condense it and what stays in and what's to get, you know, doesn't make the cut. Um, how you can allude to things without fully covering it. You know, one of the things I do is, you know, that wall of posters where you kind of fly around and then you choose one to go in it. That's my way of saying, I can't, I know these exist and there's a lot of other movies and, you know, maybe on a poster alone, you'll be interested in finding out about another film, but I can't cover it, but at least it's there, right? Right. Um, But to answer your question, these are, these are kickstarted projects where we don't have the budget to, to create a 10 part series uh, without working with, uh, you know, some sort of a network or a streaming giant or something like that. Um, And, and as soon as you do that, you relinquish a lot of your creative control. Uh, I think what, what puts a spotlight on our projects is the fact that we do these unique four and a half hour movies that people want to see, you know, the, the risk I took, and we mentioned this title earlier was, because the structure demanded it and I wanted to do a longer film just because I, I needed to, I was like, well, do people really want to sit for four hours during a movie or more or more? I, I mean, I delivered a five and a half hour cut and we only cut it down to an hour because of the limits of the format of DVD and Blu-ray. You can only go about four and a half hours. You can't fit more. Um, but it just comes down to, I think we, we really stand out from the crowd uh, as a four and a half hour documentary for for devoted and interested and curious fans. Um, I, and I think that uh, uh, I like the creative control of being able to do this. Um, and uh, I, I kind of like being able to sort of do it in chapter installments rather than, even if you did it in one fell swoop with 10 episodes, yeah. you'd have to do a whole second one because there's so much material. You know, right. you can never satisfy everybody, but right. uh, um you know, as a crowdfunded project that we do ourselves as Creator VC, a very small company, uh, this is this is the ideal way to go about it. Besides, you know, a different genre, what did you kind of learn from the first two, the Darkness One and Two, that you maybe use for tomorrow? Is there anything different about that going into it? Uh, well, the question was, are we going to do a similar format? Uh, and we decided that. Uh, the in search of movies, in search of the last action heroes, but more specifically in search of darkness, in search of tomorrow, other things that we do, 
this this chronological format really works, uh, and uh, people really respond to it, and they've demonstrated that they well, are happy to sit and watch it either in one sitting or in, in chunks because it's right. arranged that way. And so, we we are more than excited to do In Search of Tomorrow the same way, you know, because the uh, amount of films and the amount of material and and the amount of subjects subject matter for interstitial chapters is, uh, is, is endless. Uh, there's so much that we could do. And so uh, I already know that I can't fit it all in In Search of Tomorrow. So if In Search of Tomorrow is, is well received, you know, already in my interviews, as I sit down and I talk to someone, I'm like, yeah, that's going in part two because right. I, it's perfect for that. It makes more sense for later, but mm. I'm not gonna stop them because you never know when you're gonna sit down with any of these folks again. Right, uh, and that's why it's such a luxury and such a such a uh, just just a gift to be able to sit down with all these people for an hour or more. You know, if you get two hours, two and a half hours with someone, um, you get all the stories. I mean, there's always more to be said, but uh, you know, you have time for them to talk about the decade as well as their own stuff, and uh, it definitely can't all be used in the first film, but future films you know it's material that's just waiting to be discovered so you kind of you've described yourself as a nostalgia curator which i think is, is obvious from the type of work you're in has any of this <laughs> made you want to go write a write horror movies write sci-fi movies or I, direct i i i wrote and i wrote a bunch of screenplays some paid mostly unpaid and worthy unworthy of wrapping fish and nothing more uh, like the average screenwriter. Um, and uh, I wrote many scripts and uh, it, that part of my life is sort of like in the past. Uh, I would do it again, but you know, in my current life structure, it's ideal to be doing these documentaries um, because uh, you know, I, I have a family, I, I have a, a domestic life that would be quite disruptive if I jump on film sets and start directing yeah. films. Uh, you know, obviously I'm still doing production. I mean, I'm doing all these interviews and sometimes there's travel involved and so on. But uh, it's a different beast entirely when you're on a movie set that, that envelops your entire world. Uh, and, you know, I have a kid who's under 10 years old and uh, I don't want to be, you know, cats in the cradle, you know, Harry Chapin. And uh, one day wake up and realize I, I missed my kid's childhood. And now my kid has no time for me, <laughs> you know? Right. Brings a tear to everyone's eye when you listen to that tune. And uh, that tune always had some resonance to me because I had a very hardworking dad who still made the time uh, to be with his family. And that was very important to me. And so it's very important for me to make sure that I can balance a creative career that is real uh, rewarding for me but also live the life that I've devoted to. So who knows, you know, perhaps in a couple of years, uh, I'll have a little more freedom and flexibility. And uh, I, would, I would absolutely love to pursue the dream that I had in the beginning, you know, uh, and get back on film sets, but we'll see. What, what is the time frame for these movies from idea to finished projects? Like how many years involved? We, we put together a four and a half hour documentary in a year or less. Oh. Um, and, uh, 
you know, the idea sometimes lasts longer, but from crowdfunding to pre-production to production, post-production, and then uh, other rounds of crowdfunding or, or direct sales, um, it takes, it's, it's literally about a year process. Um, and, uh, you know, the more success that Creator VC has found, the more Robin Block has been very encouraged to start expanding the scope of the projects and you know so he's doing a lot of video game stuff now there's a in search of pixels there's a a, a, a that's in development and there's another film called uh fps first person shooter about those types of video games as well um so they're working on that while we're prepping another installment of in search of darkness part three uh because people have been so uh wonderfully uh happy, <laughs> responsive, uh, pleased, you know, with, with part two. Uh, so I am a, I'm a lucky guy, you know, uh, he, he wants to keep me employed in making these movies. And I really love making these movies. So uh, we, we work on these things. We've got things plotted uh, down the road. We want to do In Search of Darkness 90s. Uh, we're thinking about doing a, a fan, 80s fantasy movies, you know, documentary. I've got other things that I, you know, talking about, you know, writing scripts and, and making them, you know, like I, I pitched some things to Robin that he's receptive to. And so, you know, that's sort of in, in the pecking order when we can get to it. And that's pretty cool as well. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, I could curate a lot of nostalgia uh, in my current position. Okay. Well, I think we're a pretty good place to end there unless you have any maybe just last minute advice for documentarians or young filmmakers today. My advice to anyone who wants to make a movie, whether it's a narrative feature or whether it's a documentary feature, is don't wait for permission to do it. Go out and do it yourself. Uh, if you have no budget, it doesn't matter. You have the ambition, you have the creativity. These days you have the tools available to you where you could do it pretty much in, uh, inexpensively. And just remember, if you create, you know, something that, that gets people's attention, uh, however flashy or simple it might be, um, even if it's low budget, people will take notice of your, of your ambition and your drive and your, your creative thinking. And they'll start handing you money and opportunities to make things that cost more. Um, and you'll be happy that you did, you know, you, you sort of did some experimentation without all eyes on you, you know, the first couple rounds. So, uh, you know, it, it's so much easier than when I first started, you know, we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have iPhones in our pockets. Um, we didn't have all these online uh, platforms to, to share our work for the world to see. And now you do. So you kind of have no excuse. The only excuse you have is, is that you're saying you want to do it and you're not doing it. You got to make the time, get your friends to help you and then pay it back and pay it forward. And that's my advice. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.